Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. And welcome to episode 179 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I was just doing a weird thumbs up to you. I am incapable of not starting our podcast awkwardly. <laughs> good stuff. Um, yeah. No, I'm good. Um, we're recording this intro on a Thursday, so we're almost at the end of the week. Almost. Although, by the time everyone hears this, it'll be Monday. It'll be, it'll be the beginning of the week. Beginning of the week. Um, yeah. Today, the main meat of today's podcast is uh, an interview I did with James S.A. Corey. Uh, James S.A. Corey is actually a pen name of two different people. Uh, that is Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. They write uh, the incredibly, ridiculously popular Expanse series. The first one was Leviathan Wakes, and there's been uh, six books that have been released up until now, and tomorrow, if you listen to this on Monday or Tuesday, December 5th, when it came out. Uh, their newest book in this series is out, uh, Persepolis Rising, which I mentioned briefly in our best books of December. That's the month, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's the month. Uh, but the interview was really fun. I got to chat with both of them. They were actually running around doing a whole bunch of work for the television series, The Expanse. They... Um, they're like a part of the writing and like visual production. They basically are helping produce it, which is really cool. Uh, so they were dealing with all that, but we got to talk about how the story came about. Um, we got to talk about their friendship with George R. R. Martin. Get to talk about the fact that they've written a Star Wars book, um, like the Han Solo Star Wars book, like the definitive one that's part of canon, which is crazy. Um, all sorts of good stuff. We talked about tabletop gaming and their right in our genre of, yeah. of nerdy people who <laughs> they would fit right in in our office. So, um, yeah, they were really cool. And because their book is just coming out, we wanted to make sure that we did some uh, some professional book nerds kind of classics, give you some science fiction-y reading options. So we've got three of them. I'll let you go first. I have the other two. Okay. Um, yeah, we had – this was came from a suggestion from one of our listeners who said that – we should talk um, about books that either people should have read, should in quotes, yeah. um, maybe want to read it, but older books that they maybe have not read yet, or I'm not explaining it very well anymore. Well, no, <laughs> just, yeah, I just, the, basically, like, we're talking, the interview is about a book that's just coming out, so, it, you know, if your libraries do purchase a bunch of copies, it's likely, these are very popular books, so you'll probably have to be on the waiting list, so... While you're on the waiting list for the new Expanse book, here's a couple classic science fiction books that you can enjoy. Thank you. Does that work? Okay. That works much better. I'm like, in my head, I know how to describe what mm-hmm. we're doing. Mm-hmm. So um, I had had picked a Brave New World um, by um, Aldous Huxley. It I read it in high school. Um, it's It was published back in the 30s. It's a dystopian science fiction novel um, that it, it's dystopian, but it's sort of represents a utopian world or mm-hmm. sort of like that and then it's it deals with all sorts of 
bizarre science. Um, I had the we read it in high school. I took a science fiction literature class in high school, which is so cool. By right, the way, that's right. amazing. Um, I think it was my senior year, and we read. That's when I first read Ender's Game, and we read The Time Machine. But um, I read Brave New World, and I just I loved it, and I got so into it, and I like had color coded highlighters going on. <laughs> That's so gel. That feels so much. So anyway, so um, like, <laughs> I must have taken it my first semester senior year because a friend of mine took the class second semester and she borrowed my book for um for it and uh, she came back to me one day and she is like, "Chill. If you highlight everything, <laughs> sort of defeats the purpose of highlighting." <laughs> Like sorry, it's, isn't there <laughs> but like every time I would come across a really great quote, I would want to highlight it, and and yeah, by the end, like more than fifty percent of the book was highlighted. There's a, isn't there a quote in Fight Club? It's like if everyone is special, then no one is. Pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Brave New World, Huxley. Awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, one of the other ones that we want to talk about is The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. I also read this in high school. I didn't have a cool science fiction science fiction specialized class. I just read it because it was one of the options for... I don't remember why. It's not important why I read it, guys. Stop judging me. Um, the Martian Chronicles is a series of 27 uh, different short stories that are all told in chronological order. And it's all about human beings going to Mars because Earth is kind of dying. Um, and they populate Mars, inhabit it, and then kind of slowly get taken over by Mars itself, kind of. First they kind of take over the planet, and then they kind of get conquered by Mars itself, and um, it's just, it's so good. It's one of the, like, classic science fiction stories, and the cool thing about it is I love when books are broken up into short stories like this, because you get that sense of accomplishment of, like, reading, you know, one or two at a time, and it's it's really great. I mean, I it's a I should actually go back and reread it because, like I said, I read it in high school, and there's probably a whole bunch of stuff now that mm-hmm. I would pick up on that I didn't back then. But yeah, the Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury is really wonderful. Um, the Pretty audiobook much is everything good too. by Ray Bradbury. Yeah, that's a good point too. Basically everything. And then the other one, um, this this would be a a big thing to dive into. But if you haven't read Dune by Frank Herbert, it's so so good. It's the the movie is a little strange. But it's one of the definitive science fiction novels that exists. And there's actually a bunch of books. I'm going to look on the series now while yeah, we're talking Yeah, it's a big series. Time. Yeah, there's a lot of them. But um, if you read the first one, it's it's a good place to start. And it's just so good. It's set on this like desert planet. And it's this story of um, Paul, who's the main character. He's... Um, becomes this mystery man and, and the whole there's so many links and like this traitorous plot against like a, like a noble family and I don't know it's really good it's all there's a lot of politics and environmentalism and a lot of stuff in Dune it's a, it's a very I hate when people call a novel dense but like yeah you know what I mean I do yeah like dense in the sense that there's a lot in it not like the negative connotation so that's that's three kind of PBN classics that I think you can enjoy while you're waiting for the, you know, Persepolis Rising from the latest Expanse book. Um, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and they can email us directly at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, they can. So um, 
yeah, if you aren't watching The Expanse, definitely check it out, and all these books are wonderful. Uh, before we let everyone get to this interview, is there anything else that we missed? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoy this interview with James S.A. Corey on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Adam again, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, who, under the pen name James S.A. Corey, are the writers of the ridiculously popular and award-winning Expanse series, which is read by countless fans and also is the source, uh, the source material for the sci-fi television series of the same name. They have a new book coming out December 5th in the series. Daniel and Ty, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Okay, so we have listeners who read all sorts of genres, so just so we can kind of catch everyone up to speed, can one of you, if possible, give us a kind of brief overview of what they'd be diving into if they started reading The Expanse series today? Okay, The, the Expanse is uh, it's space opera. That's what we call it, anyway. Um, it's, it's science fiction that starts off in uh, the, the solar system that we know. We don't have people going to the stars, we don't have great galactic empires, but we have people on Mars and people living on the moons of Jupiter and uh, in the the asteroids of the asteroid belts, uh, dwarf plants like Ceres. And it's a story that starts off with um, a detective on a missing person's case and a the crew of uh, an ice hauler pulling in, mining the the water from the rings of Saturn, and uh, after which things get a little ugly. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really um, calling back to the kind of science fiction of the, the 70s that we grew up reading and love and still, you know, fondly remember, um, but with uh, our view of it and, and some of the... the cultural changes that have happened since then um, in there to make it a little more accessible for our audience. And then I'm going to do the incredibly awkward thing of asking you guys to fast forward several books and give us, can one of you guys give us some information on what readers who are familiar with your series will be getting into when they download, borrow, or purchase uh, Persepolis Rising, the, the latest book that just came out? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, can you guys maybe give us like a, a little brief introduction to the latest book that just came out, just for people who might be familiar with the series? Maybe uh, you know where you last left off on the book before, and and what th- what people can expect when they're going into the latest title. Yeah, uh, so Persepolis Rising uh, is a bit of a time jump for us. Um, at the the end of Babylon's Ashes, uh, which was book six, uh, we sort of put the solar system and the the new uh, colony worlds beyond the ring gates into a into a nice equilibrium. Uh, leave them at a place where things are going to work fairly well, um, and then we jump forward in time a bit, and a new a new power player shows up that's going to upset the apple carts um, in this and sort of knock over the stable system that was put in place at the end of book six. Doing that kind of time jump, does that is that a way for you guys as writers to sort of hit a refresh button almost and kind of have the ability to tell a new story, or is that just something that 
felt like you wanted to do at this point to, to keep things fresh. I love when people do this, but I'm always curious from, a, from an author's standpoint, what made you decide to want to kind of leap forward in time? Well, the, the big thing for me was, um, you know, we're both tremendous fans of Elmore Leonard, um, and he says, uh, skip the part that people don't read. <laughs> um, we wanted to go to when the next interesting thing happened, and this is when the next interesting things happens. So that's where we went. That makes sense. Um, I know that you guys have shared this story before, but I absolutely love it. Um, so I'm curious if you can kind of share it with our listeners. Uh, the idea for The Expanse didn't start out as a book series, correct? Oh, Lord, no. no <laughs> I was working on that for for years before the idea of a book ever came up. Okay, so can you maybe give us some information on just kind of how it, it went from... Because it was, a, it was a pa- like a paper and pen role-playing game, correct? That's one incarnation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it initially was a, uh, a, a pitch to a video game company for an MMO, uh, you know, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the early world-building was to sort of flesh out that pitch. Um, that didn't wind up going through, uh, but I still had all the materials, so it started going through other iterations after that, you know, several of them before it eventually wound up as, as the book. Yeah, I, I came into it when Ty was running uh, a tabletop role-playing game, and uh, I, my character was Detective Miller, and, and we played a few times, and I was thinking, my God, he's done all of this work. He knows everything about the universe. Um, this is, he's done all the, hard, all the hard parts. So if we just wrote it down, we'd have a book. And uh, I, I suggested the idea, and he agreed. And the plan was to kind of take what he had already done and, and write a book out of it and sell it for pizza money, and that would be it. And uh, that we, we kind of overshot. I'm imagining you guys can buy a lot of pizza at this point with the with the profits. It, we could literally kill ourselves. <laughs> it, we we could eat ourselves to heart disease. So, did you guys like you mentioned that you you know you were you were playing the game together? But how did you guys meet? How did you you know kind of form this relationship that you have now? Well, time moved to the city I live in, and uh, we had a friend in common uh, who solemnly enjoined the writing community that her friend Ty was moving to New Mexico and we should all be nice to him. Um, and that, you know, we, we took simple direction. Um, and it turned out that Ty and I were actually the... Ty, I was, I'm, I'm literally the person in that group who lived closest to Ty. We hung out a little bit and Ty um, invited me to come over on his days off from his day job and play Xbox to degrade my productivity. And it just kind of started with that. So from a writing standpoint, I I think I've seen you guys actually write. Do you write characters specifically in your own voices or do you take chapters? I guess, can you just kind of walk us through? It's a unique idea to have two people working together on a book. You don't see it too often. So what is your writing process like? Well, when we started, we divided the books up by character, but that's sort of... um, over the last couple of books that has become more amorphous. Uh, at this point, when we started, uh, we had very individual sort of writing styles and voices that have gotten much more sort of melded as time has gone on. I mean, at the beginning, 
that, that each of us were better at writing and worse at writing. And at this point, I think either of us can sort of write any character um, because we've been doing it so long. The overall plan is still that one of us writes the first draft of a chapter and the other guy edits it. Um, and then when the whole manuscript is done, each of us takes a pass through it. So um, we wind up in a place where we, we can usually tell who wrote the first draft of something, but we can't tell you who wrote which sentence in it by the time it gets to by the time it gets to press. So before you're doing that, though, do you guys, I assume you sit down and, and kind of create a story arc for each of these books before one of you goes off and writes, you know, word one, just to kind of have an idea of, where you need to get to from point A to point B, I'm guessing? Well, I have this unfortunate and probably unhealthy kink about uh, chapter length. So, and, and when we were doing this, um, when we started this, uh, Ty hadn't written a book yet, so I got to pretend things were rules that uh, weren't. <laughs> and, and it kind of created... So we, all, we always know how long the chapter is going to be, and we know about how much will fit into the chapter. And so we will... Uh, talk out what the, the beats and scenes are in that particular chapter uh, before we break to write. And we have a, an outline for the whole book and for the whole series, and um, it's, it's a living document. It's not something that, that's set in stone and we will, by God, follow every, <laughs> every idea we had three years ago. Um, but we always, we always have a good idea of where we're going. Um. I want to circle back to, to the story arc thing for the overall, but I love what you're talking about chapter length. And I think I may have seen one of you guys talking about this, but can you kind of share with our listeners, there's a specific word count you have, right? For what you think a, a chapter should kind of be. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it may be, um, a little weird. I mean, it, it, it's, I, I like 3000 word chapters. Mm-hmm. I think 3000 words is about, right because it, it leaves it's enough that you've done some stuff but it's not so much that you don't think oh i can just do one more before i go to sleep like it, it's it's uh it's the the length that i have come to for uh, making it hard to put the book down uh, and i i got that because i started the first book i wrote was uh ten thousand word chapters and my editor was uh very upset and thought <laughs> that was entirely too long and i I was young and impressionable and took it to heart. Now I wound up here with this habit. You know, but I, I, I like it, though. I know that, you know, you're kind of, you know, giving yourself a hard time a little bit. But I really like it because you're, as a reader, it almost feels, it's almost like soothing to accomplish the task of being like, okay, yeah, I read eight chapters tonight or whatever it is. And like you said, it, it keeps people engaged because you don't feel like, you know, everyone's guilty of, you know, if it's late at night and you're just like, oh, a few more pages. If you flip through and you see that the next chapter doesn't start for another 29 30 40 pages you're probably not going to dive into it but the way that you have it it i think it's i think it's good it, it feel people have that sense of accomplishment when they can kind of get through so i think you're doing the right thing I, i've always said that being a, uh, a novelist is kind of like being a bad conversationalist you just want to <laughs> make sure that things are all you, know, you take your breath in the middle of the sentence so that other people can't start talking make it hard to put the thing down oh man that's fantastic um Something else I really love about the the series is it's set, it's a science fiction series that's set in near future, and that's something that most science fiction books don't really do. So what came, what went into the decision to, to create this world in something that isn't, you know, thousands of years in the future? Well, there, I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of near future 
Mm-hmm. Um, so in near future fiction, yeah, you got Andy Weir who's writing things like Artemis and, and The Martian. That's nice near future uh, sci-fi, sure. but it's, you know, it's pretty grounded. It's pretty. Um, it feels like Apollo 13, but just a few minutes later. Uh, and there, there's a fair amount of that sort of stuff. What there isn't is 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 relatively near futures trapped inside of our solar system, but with the with the space opera sort of feel to it. Um, that's that's the part that interested me. Is is in the past it's always felt like science fiction had to have other other stars in order for the the story to feel big. And uh, I'm a big astronomy nerd, and and one of the things that that looking at our solar system really impressed on me is how vast even mm-hmm. just one solar system is, and how many weird locations are in a single solar system. And so just exploring the idea of space opera tropes, but trapped around a single star, at least as a starting point, uh, I found very interesting. So that's sort of where we, where we began. Yeah, yeah I, I, I came into, I mean, I came into it having read uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's Mars trilogy and, and kind of having that as a, a touchstone for the how to make something feel uh, expansive and and the the scope of what we would in you know for for like Star Wars or Star Trek would be a really limited thing. Um, that that was that was kind of where I drew that from. But then with um, I, I love Kim Stanley Robinson's work. I would not call him a sentimentalist. <laughs> um, and the idea of uh, having you know, the the murder mysteries and the the political thrillers and the haunted house stories and all of the the uh, kind of juicy genre tidbits that you can fit into science fiction in there too. That was that was part of what made it interesting for me. Um, you, you mentioned you know Andy Weir that with the the Martian and, and Artemis and something that is heavily involved in in the Martian is you know the it's very grounded in, in the science of, of everything, obviously, with his, his background and the knowledge that he has there. Um, I'm curious, and I have some, some reader fans in our office who are curious, for, for you guys, for the things like travel and, and time frames and everything that you put into your stories, I know that fans can be very rabid about this kind of stuff. So do you actually do the math ahead of time, or do you just kind of like ballpark your answers when it comes to travel and, and passages of time? Well, we don't. Try to avoid putting any firm uh, numbers in the book. Mm-hmm. One of the last things we do when we're editing is we go through and strip all of that out because <laughs> um, we don't we don't want people sitting and trying to do math in their heads and distracting themselves from the story. Um, that said, do you still get people who kind of write in with? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you get lots of people who write into you, but do you get people that write in in regards to the science of your stories? We certainly have people who fact check us and uh, ask whether we have done our homework. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm also a huge fan of the the show on Sci-Fi, and so I'm just curious from a kind of a uh, looking at it from a broad scope. What does it feel like to see your work on on screen? You know, it it, it doesn't because we have been. Uh, so graciously accepted into the process of the television show, and we've gotten to see all of the sausage getting made, and 
um, all of the, the work that goes into it and all of the people who are dedicating their time and effort into it. By the time it hits the screen, it really doesn't feel like my work anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this other, uh, I mean, it's related, but, but the, the ownership of it is so broad uh, when it's a, a, the TV show. There's so many people who have put their marks on it. It doesn't, it doesn't really feel, it doesn't do much for my ego. I don't <laughs> think it like, oh, look at this thing that I have wrought. I'm... <laughs> I am curious, though, about kind of helping shape it, because like you said, it's not a... Normally when people, when a, a studio purchases, you know, books to create movies and series, they sort of just send the author's checks and, and you're on your way. But you guys are very much a part of, of shaping everything. So is it hard for you guys to juggle your time now between writing new stories in the series of books and then also being so heavily involved in what's going on for the, the show itself. Like, do you guys find time management to be a little bit of a struggle for that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we've, we've managed to not slip on our deadlines very much. And the, the, the intention is still that we, uh, get a book and a novella out every year and, and mm-hmm. keep that going. And that's important. So for the show, are you guys writing scripts, or is it more so just kind of helping move the, move the story along and explaining, like, all right, well, here's where these things need to get to eventually. Like, I guess, how involved are you in the day-to-day process of it? We are hilariously involved in the day-to-day process of it. <laughs> um, I don't, I mean, Ty has been living in Toronto on set since summer. And we're we're coming up on the end of filming. Um, I spent several months in Los Angeles with the writers in the writing room. Um, we've done do we do three of the episodes? I mean, with Narain. Well, um, yeah, we we've this season we've got two that it's just us. One that it's a co-write with Narain. I mean, we've we've written or rewritten between the two of us. I think seven of thirteen scripts this season. Um, so yeah, it, it, and that's actually the the rewriting of scripts and the the massaging of scripts is it turns out to be much more typical of the process than I had known coming in. Um, but we're we're very much uh, in the middle of this process. So are you doing are you doing both at the same time? Like, are you writing on the the series and also working on or do you compartmentalize like okay from these you know from the summer through the winter we're going to be doing stuff for the show and then we're going to move on to the next story i guess i'm just fascinated with how you guys can keep everything straight in your head well they're very different uh process sure it's actually not hard for one thing um the stuff we're doing on the show is things that we wrote years ago, and, and the, the story has progressed a lot since then, so it's not hard to kind of compartmentalize which story we're working on that way, because they're so set apart just in the amount of, of plot and time that are, that's gone through. It's hard to, to mistake uh, where Amos is in book eight for where he was in book three. Sure. Um, that, that's pretty easy. And uh, the rest of it, I mean... The, one of the things that's interesting about 
the process of creating television is that the schedule is not um, reliable in any way. <laughs> so it, it, the idea is like, well, we're going to take we're going to take this six months and do this. That's a good intention, but it, it winds up being a list of things that don't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ad hoc. It's, a, it's an ad hoc sort of process. Sure. Uh, something that we love asking authors on the podcast is what were some of the kind of inspirational or maybe foundational books that you had growing up? So for you guys, especially from a science fiction standpoint, what were some of the sort of gateway books that you enjoyed while you were growing up that kind of got you hooked into this world? lines have you have either of you had a, a moment where you got to meet someone that you that you read growing up and and had got to be sort of the fanboy for a moment instead of the author um i met harry harrison that was that was one of my my starstruck moments mm-hmm. um that was that was a big one um and i met larry nevin i did meet larry I, 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 yeah i mean i've, I've met larry nevin um I mean, I, I've gotten to have several conversations with Joe Haldeman, which is really nice. I've, uh, I've always been a big fan of his and gotten to hang out with him and it's, it's like gay a number of times. Uh, and I, I, at one point, we were uh, at a bar, the three of us at a table, and I said, I said, Joe, I just, I just want to thank you for letting me steal all of your best ideas. <laughs> and he looked a little shocked when I said it, but then Gay leaned over and said, don't worry, he stole everything from Heinlein. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Um, okay, we, we can't talk about space operas without talking about Star Wars, so I apologize in advance, but Star Wars is obviously still massive, and we're recording this a little bit before The Last Jedi comes out, but I feel like, given that you guys have written a Star Wars book, you wrote the, the Han Solo novel, The Honor Among Thieves, I feel like I'm in a safe space to ask you a couple of questions. So first, I'm just curious, what are you guys' thoughts on the new movies? How do you think they're doing so far with this process? I think the new movies, um, 
have uh, a fundamental aesthetic difference from my own process. I think they're great. They're beautiful. They're they've got great actors. I think the the uh, the retelling of the the ideas and the expansion of them are are uh, well considered and and rich and interesting. Um, but I've given up on the idea that there's ever going to be a satisfying conclusion mm-hmm. to any of this. I think we're just going to keep telling stories here forever, and um, that's a little a little hard for me. I like stories that end, um, and I, I, I've, I've come to the place where I accept that there is never going to be the end of the Star Wars universe, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to go on way longer than I will. <laughs> um. I am curious for, for thinking about this from you guys. I saw in an interview a few years back that you were talking about uh, when you were selected to write the Han Solo novel, basically someone said, like, quote-unquote, you guys write things like Star Wars, which isn't true in any sense other than the fact that you write science fiction. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on basically an overwhelming amount of introductions to science fiction coming entirely through Star Wars or Star Trek. Do you think that's a good thing for the genre as a whole, or do you wish that there were other organic ways that people were discovering these incredible stories? How do people find their way into the things that they love? I mean, I, I don't think you can object to whatever brings them in. I, I, when I was a little kid, um, reruns of, of the original Star Trek were on all the time. I mean, most of my early uh, introduction to to sci-fi before I started really reading a lot of it um, as a kid was this old Star Trek. It was Kirk and Bones and Spock. I mean, I, I've probably seen every episode of the original series a dozen times. Um, but, it, you know, I mean, I, I, then I eventually found my way into other stuff. And, and you know, I, uh, some people will only ever like the first thing. Some people will be introduced through Star Wars, and that's the only sci-fi they'll ever like, and that's fine. But a lot of people will be introduced through that and then find other things that they like uh, just as much or even more. And you can't be angry at the, the path that people find their way in. Mm-hmm. And I grew up reading the, the Star Trek tie-in novels, and there was Bonda McIntyre, there was John M. Ford. There, was, there, were, there were some amazing books in those uh, media tie-in things that we, we look down upon now. I, I mean, there's, there's really good work going on there. Um, I, I guess I have to say that because I wrote one. I wasn't really thinking that when I started the comment. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think if people are reading, if they're only reading Star Wars and Star Trek, they're, they're still reading something, and that's great. I think whatever turns people's cranks, that's where they should go. It's a fantastic way to, to look at it. Um I can't let you guys go without asking a George R. R. Martin question, just because I know that you both have a great relationship with him. I'm not going to do the like the lazy fanboy thing and ask you guys for information about when the next book is coming out or anything like that, but what is something that you guys wish people knew about George R. R. Martin that maybe you've had a chance to see through being friends with him that people might not know as opposed to spending all their time just yelling at him to write more pages? Um, I, I think that, 
I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting about George that people overlook a lot is um, the the kind of the the quality and the importance of his short fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, he's known for Song of Ice and Fire, and and that's it's you know it's a cultural touchstone. It's it's central to who we are right now. But if you go back and look at some of his short work, I think that is probably more influential in the the kind of science fiction literature. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the written stuff. What he was doing with uh, short forms was powerful and important stuff and uh, is still some of the best stuff in the genre. There's a reason why all his Hugo Awards are for his short fiction. Yeah, it, <laughs> it really, it's a, it's a link that gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. Okay, we uh, we like to end all of our episodes with what we call the Nerd Nine, just because we like alliteration. Uh, they're nine rapid-fire questions. Uh, I, you guys can kind of go back and forth with them. You can both answer them. But uh, the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Oh, the last book I finished reading, um, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Very nice. Um, uh, what is your guys' favorite places to read? Bed. Uh, do you have a book that made you kind of fall in love with reading? I had one that made me fall in love with science fiction. It was The Other Side of the Sky, short stories by Arthur C. Clarke. Nice. Uh, what's one place you guys would like to travel that you have not yet been to? Antarctica. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess I know the answer to this one, given your guys' schedule, but are you coffee or tea people? Coffee. Coffee. Yeah, I figured. Uh, cats or dogs? Cats. Uh, do you, either of you have a favorite food? <laughs> of which you can buy a lot of now. Um, <laughs> I am going to make you guys both answer this one, but if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you pick? Dinner? Yeah. Any any meal, really. Am I allowed to see Jennifer Connelly? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, that's... I, I, I'm going to go with MFK Fisher, which I think was the Jennifer Connelly of the 1920s. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. Oh, those are perfect. Okay, last question for you guys. What do you hope readers take away from reading the Expanse books? I hope that they have um, a really pleasant, exciting time in a place that's outside of their, their normal world and come away uh, feeling like for all our faults and hiccups and failures, maybe humanity isn't uh, that bad after all. That's perfect. Guys, I know that you're crazy busy with the show and the new book coming out. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Anytime. Happy to do it. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace.
We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.